What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. Welcome, everyone. Today's guest has won multiple awards from many of the major hospitality brands for design and modernization of their hotels. She is unique in her excellent client communications. She has extensive experience in the hospitality arena. She's been in the industry for nearly 30 years or 30 years, and April Mm -hmm. Fools is her company, Studio Partnerships, 20th anniversary. She's an NEWH EID board member in the DC area. She is a principal at Studio Partnership. Ladies and gentlemen, Karen Harrington. Welcome, Karen. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate you having me on the show. Um, As I've told you before, the content's incredible. Your guests are great, and I'm proud to have been included um, amongst the group. Well, thank you very much. Um, And again, just don't make me blush because the content (laughs) really is only as good as the guests. Um, And while you've been in you've been in the industry for almost 30 years and had your own company for 20, um, we've been in so many of the same places for so many times and had lots of shared fun experiences together. Right. Um, All purposeful once- for the show. I will tell you it's awesome because you know the the hospitality industry at large, the you know, all of the things we've all done together have defined that. Like it's awesome. So I'm so excited for you. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I think what's really interesting is like going back to the guests. Um, I think you, Aaron Anderson was a, a, one of our first guests and he, he dropped your name about five times in our podcast is like a real inspiration mentor um, kind of part of his success. And I was like, Oh my God, I was like, it was amazing at how many times, he mentioned you. I was like, Oh my God, I have to get you on because like one of the things I love about our industry and I guess all industries, because we're not necessarily unique in that, but there's a, there's a real effort into, especially around like hospitality, making others feel comfortable right? of finding aspiring young, like rising stars and really helping to mentor them and coach them and see where they are. So yeah. Tell us about that. Like what draw, what drew you to Aaron? So Aaron's awesome, first of all, and he's incredibly talented and and a business born out of the last couple of years that has been difficult for everyone. And, and, you know, for the defining hospitality in general, it, it speaks to all those things where you, you meet somebody, whether it was 30 years ago, 10 years ago, uh, five years ago in Aaron's case, and you recognize skill, talent, honesty, um, loyalty, reliability, um, and all of those things. And thank good grief. We've all been through some of these blips. I mean, there've been three significant ones in my career and to find that somebody is starting something new and being brave and, and launching out during, uh, COVID is, is, um, is awesome. And so I think as a culture, we've always been, um, you know, 
easy to, to create a group or, or build a team and you want talented, smart, fun. We work so much, we travel so much that you want to be surrounded by those people. And he is one of those people that I've met that is, couldn't be more deserving. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very entrepreneurial as well as qualified, you know, I, I could just go on for days. He's just such a great guy. And awesome. I could go on and on about a bunch of people in our industry and how they, you know, well, played a role actually that, in, in yeah, my. that's a, that's a really interesting place to go because like, I really believe, um, and, uh, I'm just so glad like to use Aaron as like a, as a starting point, because I believe, you know, what I love about this industry so much, just from my perspective is, you know, I stand on the shoulders of all those people before me. And there were so many people that saw something in me. um, And I don't, I don't know. And then I rose to the occasion and I built a network and um, you know, and here we are, you know, overnight success after almost, 30 years or however long it's been, right? It's, it's oh, one of those I think funny you could say everybody is an overnight success after every downturn, you yeah. know, that, that if you're still alive and kicking that we're, we're problem solvers in this business. And as a problem solver, you're going to, you know, bootstrap, you're going to get up, you know, get up and, and do it again. And, yeah. um, and it's just another problem to solve. You know, so design's a great place to solve problems every day, and each problem's a little bit different, um, but it actually parallels your regular life. So. Well, and and I do want to get into design a bit. Uh, well, as as the conversation progresses, but like thinking about the shoulders of those before us, like who, who were some early inspirations that saw the um, the promise in you, and 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 kind of helped you become the overnight success that you are after 30 years. (laughs) Right. right, Overnight. Um, Well, it feels overnight. I'll tell you that. Um, So my, my main, um, the shoulders I've, I've climbed from are my parents originally. Um, I think I told you on our, our, you know, pre pre meeting that, that my parents were incredibly entrepreneurial they uh, were in business together for, you know, before I was born and are bootstrappers themselves. And so absolutely everything and the courage and the risk assessment abilities, good or bad, whether I'm brilliant or an idiot, I still don't know. Um, but my parents really made me brave and not fear um, fear the challenge. And then, um, post-college, uh, Rebecca Jones. Oh my gosh. I love her still to this day. She is inspired and smart and, um, fun and funny and, um, sees things in, in color in her head. And, and we've always clicked because we see it like a film. Um, you know, if you could say, oh, I have a film running at all times on the inside of my eyelids and you construct things in 3D and, you know, somebody would explain to you kind of what they're looking for and you can just build it in real time in your mind. Um, she is an incredible talent that way. And I feel like I have similar qualities. And so the two of us uh, got along famously. I learned much of what I know today from her. 
Um, so, and I tell her regularly and anyone who will listen, how grateful I am because it, it huge, huge part of my success. Yeah. And a real pillar within our industry of hospitality design as well. Like, uh, for sure. She's a force. Yeah. Yeah. She's extremely awesome. successful. I mean, she's, she's got, she's got all those things that we talked about before, you know, hospitality being a virtue. I mean, that's mm -hmm. kind of the life I live is it's just part of my, my virtue. And, um, well, that's a great, uh, so awesome. hearing you talk about hospitality and it being a virtue and, you know, your experience from Rebecca and others and your parents, and then, you know, how you've kind of paid it forward over and over using Aaron as an example, but I'm sure there's more, um, how do you define hospitality? Oh, as, as a virtue, I, I grew up and it's always been personally and professionally. What do they say? It's, you know, it's, you've never had a day of work if you, if you love it enough, you know, and, um, you know, in a, in a design firm setting, we've grown, we've been upwards of 25 people and small as eight people and, um, you know, adding architecture and doing a lot of renovation and new build and all sorts of different things um, that no matter what segment we diversified after 2007, 2008, and started doing a lot of other segment work through the lens of hospitality. And it was wildly successful. Um, but always coming back around to hospitality and the people that gravitated to it, you know, they say not everybody's for everybody, which is very true. However, the majority of the people um, that, that belong to the hospitality industry, such a huge, tiny business, um, are, are huge, like tiny kind. Business. huge, tiny business, huge, tiny, but yeah. you know, that, that so many of us have so many commonalities in, you know, the love of life, the love of learning, uh, goodwill, welcoming, inclusive, comfortable, kind, um, you know, all those things. And, and, all the way to all these really cool things we get to do as group boondoggles. Nobody would put the boondoggle together, you know, to go snowmobiling in Vail and kayaking in the Pacific and all those things. If the culture of the people doing the work didn't align with all that exciting stuff, you know, like, you know, I, I a hundred percent agree. And I love how you said, the, the diversification that you did into other verticals after the financial crisis, right. but looking at those through the lens of hospitality. Cause what I'm learning so much about having guests like you on is hospitality more than anything else. We are a little big industry or big little industry. However you put yeah. it. I love that. And I mean, very nimble and very nimble, but all of those lessons of those virtuous lessons, as you said, of, making other people feel a certain way and cared for and having these experiences, right. it's transferable to every single industry and every right. single human interaction and every right. single human connection. 100% because, so you know, vacation is aspirational. When you mm -hmm. pick a spot to vacation, it is, you know, not your neighbor's house or, you know, your country club, it's somewhere aspirational. So if you can you know, layer that over the things in your community, whether it's going to the office or, you know, going to your country club or going to your gym 
and it has that layer of hospitality in it, you just want to go to it that much more. You're much more comfortable in it. So as you're diversifying and bringing that lens of hospitality that you, you execute so well, and you're applying that to other places, like what's a really great example, a surprising example of how your experience of hospitality and delivering it via the built environment has had a, a surprisingly positive outcome. Oh, geez. I've got two great examples that are outside of our segment. One is a, a company called Verdance. They're a growing wealth management company. Um, and, and two of the, the principals, if you will, in that company are personal friends, like in my zip code, let's say they're in social settings where I would be, but their head of marketing happens to be a neighbor and a really good friend. And they are growing rapidly and had a couple of um, facilities and a building they were going to buy and move their office and said, oh, gosh, you know, we need help. We're growing. You know, can you help us out? And I said, sure. Isn't your, you know, agent because in that tenant world, um, it's done very differently. And she said, yeah, it's just terrible. Like nobody's really happy with it. And I said, okay, yeah, I'd gladly take a look at it. And I re-space planned their entire office through the lens of you are going to work at home and you are going to entertain your customer and your employee uh, they, the way you would welcome them into your home or into a hotel great room. And that it is going to have to be somewhere where you would, um, you could co-work in, in the lobby, but you could also have a meeting or have a bite to eat, or maybe your lunchroom isn't a lunchroom anymore. It's actually part of the, the lobby and, you know, all those things. And, and it transitioned their office culture into something remarkable. And so it was so successful that they have bought three other practices in three other cities and called us and said, can you repeat this same vibe in all different square footages, all different volume of people, but create that same feeling um, in all these different spaces. And so we've done that and it, it's been wonderful. And um, they've had a marked change in support staff hiring and retention because of it. I bet it does. And as you were saying, like something that jumped off the page at me as you were talking about that is moving the lunchroom to the lobby, right? It, it reminds me of, and it's so simple and, but so, so missed, simple. like my office used to be on uh, Broadway between 20th and 29th, right next to the Ace Hotel. And that right. was really one of the first hotels, I think that just like totally said, Hey, everybody come in here and let's, let's create this activity and buzz and sure. And then you mentioned about culture and then by bringing something that would normally be in a back room out, it's just, um, it's more than just transaction or something financial, right? It's, Hey, we have a, a community and we care and right. let, let's and do you're it all welcome. out in the open. And you're welcome to participate in it. Mm, anybody, anybody, my and customer, also, my employee, you know, yeah. Anybody it's, also, that it's also interesting because good. if I think about um, banks or branches or kind of, you know, wealth management offices, you, you know, you walk in there and it's, I feel like there's two, two, two roads typically that happen. There's a, this 
really stuffy oak paneled or bad contract kind of furniture thing. It's all heavy oak, like, right. And that's not meaningful anymore. Yeah. It's just not meaningful anymore. It's it's upsetting. And then on the other side, you'd probably go to like, um, uh, some of these, uh, retail branches. Like I know that there's like this, uh, right near grand central. Cause I'll go in there cause they have Wi-Fi and, and oh, the capital one, not capital program. one, the TD, um, TD uh-huh. bank. But uh, so then on the other side, so you have this Oak stifled thing. And then on the other side, it's like, I'm going into captain Kirk's like, right. Starship command. I'm like, oh, it's cool. And I can sit there and it's, if it's cold out I can get right. out of the weather, but it's not, it's not activated. And it's like super, right zany if you will right so it's like um going to a club lounge in a an airport you know that that it's an intent it is corporate design professionals trying to create a hospitality space and you know it, and it's just hospitality is so different it is really a lifestyle i can't you know people ask like you asked me to explain it and it goes all the way to the root of my being. Um, it is the way I was brought up as well as it is part of my personality type. Mm. You know, it, it is both of those things. And if that is not, if you're not a person who is empathetic and can put their feet in someone else's shoes and not just for a second, but walk in it and live in it, whether it's an employee or a janitor or a or a host or a hostess or a guest, um, a manager, any of those people have specific interactions and conveniences that they have to have. And you have to be able to imagine yourself literally walking in their shoes and identify the interactions they have. And if you don't have empathy and you don't have an understanding of all of that, and what comfort feels like and inclusive um, areas or even privacy or intimacy and all those things. If you, if you really can't feel that um, and then be able to relay it to space um, that the space is never going to be fully successful yeah. and hospitality really is great at that. Yeah. I, I, as you're talking about walking in someone else's shoes and it's really, it's almost like you have to become a method actor and become and have empathy and really get in there. And I'm always amazed by, you know, designers or architects that are like, or branding people that somehow can take these seemingly nebulous ideas because it's never a black and white thing. It's always like, okay, how do we find that one spot that kind of is as close to everything as possible right? and then create a, a built environment about it. So like, right. for instance, with the, I think you said it was Verdance, um, Verdance or Verdance? Verdance. Verdance. So as you're trying to do that and hear what they're trying to do, like, what's your process for kind of like unpacking that? I find that like, well, they didn't know what they wanted to do. They know, they knew that they didn't like what was being shown to them. And so they, they almost were open to suggestion Mm. rather than having an idea of what they wanted. 
it, it's it's fascinating, but they they just didn't know, and they they thought you know that I guess we had started a conversation and thought it was fascinating enough, and I guess they knew some of the work we were doing. You know, we're doing the Chevy Chase Club in in the D.C. area, and you know from from one type of business to the other, like we're saying, it is the method actor, like that's a perfect description because you go to Chevy Chase Club and I'm talking, we had drapes installed and the, that whole place is very butlered and very intended down to every little detail, just as much as the highest end luxury hotel you've ever been to every hairdryer, you know, wound and facing the same direction that team there is impeccable as well as being kind and all these cool things, but they measured the, from the drape to the floor all the way around the room and wanted everything to be a half inch from the floor. Exactly. Every drapery panel in the entire ballroom. And they are creating an environment of perfection because that's what's expected by the member there. Same as Verdance wants a high wealth, um, a high net worth client to come into their offices and feel um, trust, um, a, a view into the lives of the people they are entrusting their, um, their nest egg. Um, you know, and they, they service people from like me all the way up to you know, the tens of millions and um, which I'm not. And, and so anyway, they, they are trying to create an environment that, that makes their customer feel um, like they're entrusting to the right people and um, that you are being welcomed into their life and that you can associate their space and their office and where they spend all their time with the services they would provide to you specifically. So when you say you like they didn't know, are you, do you ask clarifying questions before you show them things? Or are you kind of just saying, Hey, this is what it needs to be. Like, how do you coach them through that to help them discover? Yeah. So um, it's called programming. It's the first phase in the design process. And um, it is part of your uh, job responsibilities, if you will, or project responsibilities to engage in those questions. Um, I, I think when when you get the opportunity to talk about a project or something unique and different, that before you put any pen to paper, you actually engage in that narrative. And so, you know, that's a normal process in in the first thing you do in design is programming. And so, you know, we do, or we would have a series of questions. If you can't tell, I am a giant communicator. So I love talking about people um, and encouraging people and trying to make people feel comfortable. I was pre-med psych. Um, so I automatically buy my, my first love of people and um, trying to make people feel comfortable and happy and joyful and in awe, perhaps. All those things are part of the process. You know, why would you want to go into a space that doesn't make you feel comfortable? So 
and as you're going through the programming and you're you're taking this lens of hospitality and applying mm-hmm. it to wealth management, right? I think at the beginning you said that there were two that were really exciting that were different verticals. So that verdance is one. Right. Uh, walk us through the other one. Well, the other example, one of the other examples was Chevy Chase, which is like the polar opposite, you know, kind of giving the example of of you can have one that's supposed to be warm and welcoming and, you know, and, and Chevy is, is very formal and, and expected. And if you can't get in their brand and in their traditions, you're not going to be able to give the, the uh, member the experience that they expect from that establishment. And then the third is country. The country club is um, a 65,000 square foot, um, shooting range. Um, it, it acts as a, a variety of things. Um, you can go there for just general training for learning how to shoot and care for a gun, gun safety, all that. Um, they also teach self-defense. So there's sim rooms and all sorts of really neat stuff. Um, and then there's also retail and a museum, if you will, where, where we celebrate the lives of fallen um, officers and firefighters and things like that, and tell the story of, of um, security in, in the state of Maryland, and which was kind of neat. And then there's a VIP lounge and a VIP membership that if you, you can store your weapons there and you can learn and have um, training from some of the United States number one um, shooters. And it also has um, I can't, I don't think I can go into too much detail, but they do a lot of training for the secret service and things like that. And so there are some unique um, access requirements um, to how you get in and out of the building, whether you are a, you know, just a retail customer or you're an actual club member, or if you are secret service and you're training for performance. Um, they have all of those things. And if you look at it online, you'd be like, holy cow, that looks like a hotel. That looks like somebody's club room. That looks like um, an F&B outlet. Oh, that looks like a cigar lounge. And, and so it definitely feels very much like hospitality. And, um, and it's supposed to be comfortable. And if you come there, that you would stay there, not for a half an hour of your session. You might come stay there for three hours and, and have a bite to eat or different. Yeah, totally different, but 65,000 square feet of hospitality designed retail. Uh, One place that I I've always been amazed that um, just hospitality really hasn't taken hold in and it just boggles my mind is healthcare and hospitals. So healthcare has hmm. come a long way, but hospitals and doctor's offices, not so much. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. The, the bureaucracy in it, um, is difficult to traverse. And so we've done, um, at university of Maryland medical center, um, we did a, they had brought in a, uh, oh gosh, a top, a top doc, let's just say, um, an orthopedic surgeon who was brought like, you know, hired to lead 
all of that. And they ended up building him an entire building and a really cool guy. And they wanted to offer him an office suite to grow that wasn't like what was being done by the tenant fit out team. And so they had us hired on top of that local design firm that was already doing the tenant improvement work for them and project management. And we layered in hospitality over top of, um, you know, a 20,000 square foot um, space for a, a new, a new department. So, you know, when you talk about the bureaucracy of healthcare and hospitals in particular, and I do see that healthcare has come a long way. And I guess for me, it's more doctor's offices and hospitals because really it should be, it's about healing and restoration mm-hmm. and re, re, recharging. And when you talk about the, um, when you come up against that bureaucracy, like for those listeners that just don't know, like what are, what's like the biggest frustration on that bureaucratic side that where you want to do something, but you're just like, you hit a wall. Um, so it's how the real estate is owned, managed and improved. And it, there are more people involved in, in that, in that decision-making. So the administrator of the hotel, I mean, of the, of the hospital, isn't the same person that is running the facility or owns the building necessarily. So the person that might own the dirt, the building um, is their landlord. So it's a tenant, a very large scale tenant improvement. Um, So it's, it's, it's a lease essentially. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's a doctor's office that might be 6,000 square feet, all the way up to hundreds and hundreds of thousands of square feet, there's the economics are built. You know how in hotels, the economics are like, oh, it might be a renovation at $75,000 per key amortized to the entire hotel, right? Well, in, in the TI world, it's a square footage analysis. And, and in the regular builder's grade TI, it's a really tight number. And they almost pick like, um, like a Marriott Select Service program. There's this box of improvement parts that, that you can pick from. And if you change a paint color, you change a carpet, it's almost like the states that have, um, you have to a three-tiered system to buy your, your cocktails. Um, it's the same thing so that there's a carpet vendor and a dealer and an installer. And there are so many tiers in it that are all dipping their hands in the pot that for hospitality, I'd be like, oh, that carpet should be, you know, $27 a yard. And they're like, no, it's 53 installed. And you're like, um, hmm. Well, three different entities have dipped their hand in the pot. And we're like, you've got so much volume. Why would you do that? Um, and it's just such a big building with a different type of management and annual care maintenance Mm. program that it's just easier to have somebody that you call and say, Hey, your carpet is peeling in room number one Oh five, you know, and, and they would have to come fix it as part of their maintenance program. It's just a harder business to manage in a way that you'd say, okay, well, you know, why don't you have your purchasing department 
buy all your, your finishes, like the hotel business yeah, direct and, from the and, factory. Yeah. And the economics mm. just, they don't, they don't mm. replace product quite as often. Their soft goods renovations are, are like 20 years rather than ours being closer to eight to 12 years. I mean, it is just a different set of, of economics. So I don't think it, it, it really is anything except for how to make the most money out of the building that they're in and its use. And I feel like it's, it would take a lot of effort to go back and unwind it. I don't know that there would be enough of a, of a savings to do it the way we do it. Yeah. I feel it's surprising. I mean, it's not surprising to hear uh, it's the economics. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I was kind of thinking, um, you're restricted to such a more, uh, much more limited palate that has to be like impervious to blood and urine and like guts. There's, and yeah, just there's so much he- heavy no. cleaning materials. There, there's some of that, but there's so much product out there that, um, you know, has moisture barriers and, and locking seams and all those things mm-hmm. that um, it's really more about price and less about, um, barrier to entry because you don't know enough about it. There's a little bit about that, but it's not so much that you couldn't do it. It's a matter of, would you want to, you know, we had been asked to do a couple projects at Mercy hospital in Baltimore. Um, We were way too out there creative and um, you know, it wasn't a good fit. You know, Mm. we, we really wanted to not pick the, you know, from five multicolored loop, carpet patterns you know it just wasn't the right fit for a highly detailed creative team it just you know what i also find sometimes the best projects we all ever get are the ones that we don't get right oh for sure (laughs) for sure for sure yeah at least that's how i rationalize it right however i will tell you you know when the 2007 eights happen um and and you know you've got a lot of talent you don't want to lose you know, you are willing to, um, you know, do that, that work that's a little bit more programmatic and meat and potato just for the sense that everybody needs design. Design is not a luxury. It is not, you know, people will say, oh, I can't, I can't afford a designer. Well, well, you should figure out a way to do so because it's not a luxury. It has a lot to do with the way you move around the, the, the country. And so, um, and the way and you, how you live. feel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, for sure. And, and actually that's a great launching point into, you know, design. I, I feel like design has always been so much further ahead in Europe. Right. And, and also, and now in Asia, mm. because why well, I, I, this is my theory and it's probably wrong. Mm. So, but it's just been there, like all the fashion houses, everything it was there. Oh yeah. Really. Mm-hmm. You know, right. So you're getting a lot of this. Yeah, and, for and sure. It's art, artisanal, multi-generational, like great, like just beautiful things that are happening, right? Well, it's cultural Every, too, right? Yeah. Because there- Everything is so much older. There's, yeah, there's no more land. Yeah. There's no storage. When you buy stuff, you buy one Armani suit. And in the US, you have disposable clothes. It's inexpensive. You have five closets. Like it's such yeah. a, such a hugely different lifestyle proposition. You know, right. if I had one closet that was four feet wide and I had to go through all of my stuff 
and only keep what would fit in a four foot closet. Wouldn't that be fascinating to see what everybody would come up with? I mean, that was my life in New York city. And now I live sure. in a house in Connecticut and I have like, I'm just filling up my closet with stuff. I used to have three feet and three drawers right. and that's where I kept everything. It right. was, in my life, it was much simpler. Um, and it was really I, nice stuff, right? Stuff yeah. that lasts, it's not disposable. And, right. you know, it's interesting. I love it. But as you think about, or so, so anyway, that there, and then in Asia, you know, so many of these great projects from multifamily to hospitality to just infrastructure, it's almost like there's no budget. And it's, um, mm. they're doing crazy, awesome, like over the top kind of projects, right? And right. materials and- Sure. Um, and then you look at the U.S. with all we like, we don't have as many constraints from space wise. Right. Um, but I do see. And, and that's where I meant by like on the lagging side of, of design. Right. But what I've been seeing over the past 20 years is, and even in our industry, like you were saying, you can't live without it. And design is becoming so much more important and so much more thoughtful. Um in the United States that, you know, I'm curious, like what's exciting you most about the future? Well, so when millennials were, were kind of poked fun when people were poking fun at millennials and millennials are difficult and all that stuff. I was like, I am a millennial, but I'm not a millennial. I'm much older than a millennial, but I, you know, I've, I'm excited about how smart the, kids are coming out of college. I don't want to say kids because that's kind of, that seems like condescending and I don't mean it that way, but the 20 somethings coming out of college, they're amazing. They're amazing. And, um, and I can't wait to see what stuff they come up with because they're faster. They, they know how to use all of the equipment they're, they're given in a way that, um, is so efficient and thoughtful and, inventive and they're excited about stuff. And, and, um, so that's probably the biggest thing I'm excited about as well as, you know, post COVID. And I don't know how many people just post comment, but post COVID. You just need to get to that point where it's just like, whatever that was. (laughs) Well, so I feel like people of a certain age of a certain responsibility have taken a long look in the mirror and said, really what's important to me now. Because on the other side of all that hustle and bustle, the, the life as you knew it changed a bit, but we're still okay. We're still doing the same thing. We're still able to recover and move on with our lives. And with that being part of the story, which is excellent. Now, what do you want? Because now you can choose because you don't have to live the same way you did four years ago where everybody was sprinting and hustling and bustling. And now you choose. Yeah. You choose and you choose really wisely what you want to do and how you want to do it and who you want to do it with. I totally agree. I think the silver lining out of this, because we had so much taken away from us, right. Mostly around connection. Right. um, And community. Um. I think the silver lining here is we're able to become so much more intentional about what we're all doing. And if you think about design also really design is like supreme intentionality because you're really through empathy, thinking about this, addressing issues and solving problems with a lot of thought and, and firepower behind you to 
be intentional about what that experience is you're creating. Sure. You want to hear something else cool? Like, do you know Amy Jakubowski? Yeah. Okay. So she's awesome. Like nobody mm-hmm. can, can, you know, say anything other than she, she's got it all going on. I, I think she is um, a supremely professional. I think she is such a, and she's cool, freaking hilarious and hilarious and a cool <laughs> cat, all those things. And we were her. in, Oh my God, you'll get to see her next yeah. week. Um, but anyway, she, she's pretty awesome. And, um, and we're competitors like friendly, of course. And I would consider her a friend after all these years and all this, you know, what happens after you get over yourselves and you make time to sit down and really talk. Well, what was really cool. We were in Alice together. We're out to dinner and we got into the conversation of, you know, who's on your team, who's hiring, who needs a job and, um, and who would be great to hire if you could afford it. And we were sharing back and forth the names of some killer people like, Oh, I'm not in a position to hire this type of person right now, but I met this gal. Who's an amazing opportunistic, very great salesperson, great networker, really smart, young, excited, all that stuff here. I'm going to give you her name because I can't do it right now, but, but you can, why don't you think about her? And she called, you know, a guy that she used to work with that is now new on my team and, and we love him. And I would, you know, ball my eyes out if, if he were to be stolen and um, she called him and said, Hey, I'm just checking on you. I want to make sure you you're gamefully employed and you're happy. And he said, Oh, I'm, I'm working with Karen Harrington and Christina Hart. And she said, Oh yeah, you're in great hands. They're really wonderful. They've got some wonderful work. That's great. I'm so happy you're happy. And pre-COVID, not to say Amy would be any different. I'm just saying, would that have been the culture? Was that the culture before? And I, I don't know that it was. And I think that there's a lot of thoughtfulness and a little bit of intentionality to our industry now that is makes it even nicer. Like I already thought it was amazing and now it's even more amazing, yeah. you know, in ways that it wasn't before. I totally agree. Um, and to me, I think that the silver lining of intentionality is, <clears throat> I think it's, tra- it's transformational for, for all of us on so many different levels. Um, okay, you mentioned that you learned so much from your parents, right? Then they were entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Oh um, yeah they treated you or they, they taught you about bravery and how to manage fear. Um, what do you, how old were you when you, when, when you really realized that learning from them? Cause sometimes well, as you're going through, last you don't. year, no, I'm Oh, just last year. No, but um, I was definitely an adult. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's when, when you, I don't know, maybe after I had kids and you slow down enough to look back a little bit and, um, or maybe it, it might've been, so I made some kind of mistake, like who does that? But I made some kind of mistake and, um, went to them for, for assistance and resolution and realized that all the things that I've achieved had a fairly high level of risk. And that it was the, the home I grew up in that it was encouraged to take risks and that if you failed, 
was almost better at a young age than always succeeding because you learn so much from um, the lesson that as you age and it's more meaningful when you're taking risks to make good ones and uh, to go about it in a very educated way that, that they encouraged me so much to go do it, like go do it. Um, they were funny. They, they decided to build a vacation home on an island, a barrier island off of the Virginia panhandle uh, with some friends. Oh my gosh. I mean, hilarious. Just what like a 14 year old girl wants is to get on a barge, be dropped off on an island without any people on it to a house that had been halfway built with no railings on any of the decks, barely working toilets. And it was makeshift where all the boys are, are shooting guns out of, uh, what do you call it? Beach chairs. I mean, just so hillbilly and horrible for a 14 year old, but it was so cool. And they like, why would four grown men decide, Hey, you know, it's a great idea. Let's buy this little piece of sand and try to build a house on it when not one of them had ever built a house before. Oh my gosh. And, hilarious. I mean, ridiculous. So anyway, it was just that that's what happened in, in my house growing up. Um, you know, they jump in the car and say, Hey, let's go to Key West. Well, wait a minute. It's Thursday in the middle of the month. Right. And mm -hmm. they'd just be like, let's just go. And next thing, you know, we'd, you know, be in a suburban with two families in it headed to the keys to go fishing. Wow. You know, it was just constant, constant, something crazy going on. And so hmm. they, well, um, they were, they were fascinating. They still yeah, are like, they're really funny. I, I can't, I can only imagine. Um, <laughs> it sounds, it, it sounds amazingly ridiculous and mm -hmm. super memorable. And, you know, I think the, I, from my life experience, the, the most memorable and enjoyable times are often the ones where it's like things don't go as planned. Right. And right, it's like, right. Cause otherwise you're, you're kind of just almost phoning it in. Right. And it's right. like, Oh, no go doubt. on that camping trip when it's pouring rain and you can't right. do anything, you know? Well, as you're in your cushy hotel and your cushy bed paying, you know, $15 for a packet of sugar mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and it's kind of like, once you've been traveling a long time, you get a, accustomed some, some of this stuff, but I, I take my parents on a trip with myself and my kids every other year. And, and we had started and gone like up and down Europe. And so one of the first trips was to go to England and, and France. And I said to my dad, like, Hey, you know, I've got all the stuff in London, but can you do some stuff up where this soccer match is? Sure. And so we get in the car and we drive up there and we go to the hotel and, oh, 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 do you know Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Yeah. All the beds in the living room with all the aunts and uncles in it. Mm -hmm. Grandpa so Joe, we Grandpa Josephine. Oh, yeah. my God. So we walk into our hotel room and there are beds like everywhere. And the whole family, all of us are supposed to sleep in this room with like eight beds in it. And literally, and it was, I think it was Easter. And so we have all these Gucci chocolates from Paris and we're in this dumpster fire in, you know, Liverpool and 
literally what do we all laugh about that the dumpster fire in liverpool and how hilarious it was that all of us slept in one open bunk room um in order to go to a soccer match it was hysterical but it was disgusting like no showering (laughs) but memorable 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 good times making memories um for sure so if you were to go out to that island that with the the house that's falling down um as a little as a little girl let's say you were to just stand in front of yourself there what advice would you give your younger self there as all the guns are going off um <laughs> and you're and you're just trying to make it happen um gosh it would be hard to be like oh wrap your arms around this and love it um because on many levels I, I did, although I cl- complained a bit because I wanted to be at the mall with my girlfriends. Um, <laughs> however, I, I would say, gosh, you're a lucky girl. You know, all the things that you learned being taken away from all of the, you know, rush of a day-to-day in a contrived setting with you know, the contrived boundaries and all of that. My parents were like, you know, always planning something crazy. And, and so standing on that beach, I'd be like, you are one lucky girl. Awesome. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, well, we're kind of like rounding out here. So I want to say thank you for your time. And this has just been so enjoyable. And I can't wait to go look at these projects you mentioned because um, especially that Verdance one, it just sounds really cool. Um, Yep. How can people get in touch with you? Well, um, we we have a website. We're on Instagram as well as, you know, LinkedIn and all that good stuff, but they can reach me by email. Do you want me to share it? Or do you post it? Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. We'll, we'll get it in there. We'll get your email, yeah. uh, LinkedIn, your company website, everything else. And um, Sure. Yeah. And also I mean, for, mm-hmm. for anyone that watches the show there, I, I had met a couple of gals at, at um, HD at, um, you know, that boat event that, that uh, PJ puts mm-hmm. on. And um, I met a couple of girls who were, had just started their own firm and they, they were a little bewildered by some of the business stuff. And so if somebody's watching and has questions about the practice of design and, and feels like they could use some mentorship there, don't feel like you can't reach out because, you know, women do uplift women and share, um, share stories and best practices and things like that. So don't be afraid to ask a fellow designer, whether they're um, a principal or a senior person uh, for, for some of their experiences, because I know for myself, um, I am glad to help always. Love it. Um, and to me, like, that's what makes us all so special. And that's what helps us shorten each other's journeys is our experience. It's never like, oh, you need to do this, 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 this. Hey, from my experience, I did this. You might want to consider that. And it just changes things. And people are more open if you're just sharing experience rather than saying, oh, you got to do this. You got to do this. This is the way. Well, that's very generous of you, Karen. And, you know, and I think, 
you're not alone in this industry. And I think the other lesson from that is of all the people in our industry, it's amazing to me that like, there are those people that ask, but they're very few and far between where the people will become vulnerable enough to ask, Hey, right. share this. So right. I think and we should. Yeah. We and should. I, I love that you're, you're offering that. It's so generous and kind. Sure. Um, but Karen, thank you very much. You, this was an amazing conversation. I appreciate your time so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'll oh, see welcome. you next week. Yes. And uh, everyone else, if this has helped evolve your uh, thinking on hospitality and designing for hospitality, please share the podcast. We're growing every week. And uh, thank you for your time, everyone. And thank you. And we'll check you next time. Mm-hmm.